Welcome to the Woke Blokes podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. I'm going to pop the cucumber out in three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Woke Blokes podcast. Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing here, joined as always by Nico, the Sultan of Steel, Cucumber Man Sutherland from MindFit. Nico, how are you? Oh, I am ready to eject this cucumber. Ready to eject it? We have have a special guest on today. I'm very, very excited to introduce to the listeners. Um, And Nico, I don't know the time I get. Is is that all the time I get? You're not going to speak for the rest of the show. Okay, cool. Good chat. I did a a poll and, um, yeah, people are sick of you. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ask yourself? I was having a shower. I was having a shower before we jumped on this morning, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and I was nude, and I'm like, "I don't need Nick. Look at me. I'm fantastic." Fair play. Fair play. No, Nick, I love you. Please uh, stay. Okay then. And we do have a guest, and I'm excited because um, I get to do all the talking today, and you just get to shut your pie hole for once. Yeah. Well, let me introduce first, and I'll shut my pie hole. So we have all the way from the other side of the planet. Pretty much. We have Matthew McNutt, a good friend of mine, coming from the Midwest of the US and A. <laughs> what are you laughing Is at? He Is he English? Matthew McNutt. Matthew McNutt. Is he in a metanoia? Ma- no. What's your middle name, Matthew? Is it Earl? It is. It sounds British, doesn't it? Matthew Earl Matthew McNutt. Earl McNutt. The Earl yeah, of Kansas. The Scottish on both sides. Scottish yeah. on both sides. Right, there you brother. go. All right. Yeah. Mate, welcome. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. It's an honor to be on here. Yeah, well, you're in the singlet, mate. We're down here in Melbourne where it's about 10 degrees Celsius. You're at about 42 over there in Kansas, middle of summer, yeah? Yeah, 108 for all you American folk listening. There you go. Right, what, right. what, about our, our, what about our Iceland audience, Nick? What do they do? Are they Celsius or Fahrenheit people? I'd say they're Celsius. Most of the world's Celsius. It's just the uh, the Americans that tend to still be a little bit. Um, still do the, the inches of feet. Feet yards. Yeah. We still hey, say noon. But golf says midday. Golf's an interesting one in Australia because we say the measurements in meters, but then we've got a three foot putt. So we're, 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 we're still mixing them. Yeah, that's true. Aren't you, why don't you just say a yard? A what? One yard is. Uh, it's, it's already too complicated. It's too early in the morning over here, mate. He's got Des and Troy out, though, for those that um, that aren't going to watch this on the YouTubes. Um, Maddie, Maddie's pulled up and he's already obviously done about 20 push ups before uh, jumping on the camera today. He's got Des and Troy out. Sun's out, guns out. So you're looking good, buddy. Oh, my no, Lord. There it is. Oh, oh, God. Jesus. I'm starting to feel inferior. All right, I'll put those <laughs> away. Yeah, but um, I didn't get tickets to the gun show. Did you, House? No, have you got a license for those? Yeah. Registered. Yeah. Registered. Yeah. You're allowed to have them <laughs> in America, not in Australia. Yeah, you can carry. You can carry. Yeah. yeah. Can especially, carry. especially in Kansas, it's constitutional carry. Yeah. I don't even need a license. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Fair play. Fair play. Um, okay. So, what's the story? How do you two know each other? Matt, why don't, why don't you jump off? Let's um, talk about maybe how we connected and um, what was happening in your life at the time. All right. Um, so it would have been around 
November of 2016, I had slipped off into meth addiction again. And prior to that, I had gone all in into a recovery house doing the 12 steps. Um, and I'm a type of guy that does go all in. And so this time coming around, I, I set my own intervention. And when I told my partner at the time, she essentially said, what do you expect me to do? Hold your fucking head and pick up the pieces. And I went from being a pretty, like you wouldn't have known I was really on meth unless I was open with you about it. I, I was what I would consider the day walker. I, I, I ran my business. I took care of my kids. I paid my bills. Um, and as anybody in any form of addiction knows, it, it, it went fast. It went from a weekend tweakend to sitting at my desk going, how the hell did I get back here? And um, I knew at that time that I could not just go back and keep doing the same thing. I, I even set up a meeting to go back to the recovery house. I left the meeting. Uh, I just knew that there had to be another way. So the next three to four months, I tailspinned out of control. I now became what everybody in my small town thought I was. I, I fit the mold. I looked like your cliche tweaker at the time. Um, but what I was doing was a ton of research. I was, I was started looking up anything and everything I could find. I found Gabor Mate. I found Dr. Mark Lewis and smart recovery stuff. Um, I even ran into Peter Levine and saw the word somatic. And I'm like, okay, that, that's too much for me. So I stuck kind of to REBT and CBT. Um, and then there was just this regular guy. And his name was Ryan from the Melbourne Center for Healing. Back. Sounds like a loser. Sounds like a fucking weirdo. Stay clear. I, I like this. I like the sound of this guy. Keep going, Matthew. Well, in fact, I was I was quite ambivalent between wanting to get clean, and of course, I was using at the time. So I was wanting to justify living a life like this for the rest of my life on meth, on ice. And Ryan happened to title a video, "The Myths of Meth." And that one kind of hooked me in. And this, this guy, Ryan, for the first time, somebody else out there was articulating all of my thoughts, mm. a lot of my feelings. And then on top of that, I reached out to him and he responded back. Now, that's helpful. But I mean, I don't think I would have got that from a, a Gabor Mate or something like that. So, Ryan being where he was at his time and where I was at the time, it, it was just kind of meant to be. Mm -hmm. Online wasn't a big thing then. I mean, there wasn't Zoom or any of that. There was Skype. But I remember just constantly reaching out to Ryan about how do I get whatever kind of therapy you guys have or got? And 
the the center for healing wasn't as open yet about their practice there's more of ryan's educational videos so i still really had no idea what the therapy was um i finally got a hold of the president of smart recovery and their office happened to be in my original hometown in san diego california um i can just keep going well i'm, I'm just curious i'm gonna jump in quickly because i'm curious how what age did you start using uh, um what's um you know how long had you been str and I, I don't even think you were struggling with addiction it doesn't sound like because you were you were a functioning meth user, um, you know, as you said, you were paying your bills and holding down a job and and you know, raising kids and all that sort of stuff. So, what was it? Um, you know, what were you trying to achieve? Did you want to? Was there an inner conflict? Did you want to get off meth completely, or did you want to just keep using meth in the background? Or what was what was the sort of what was your goal? And how long have uh, you been struggling with it for? Okay, so that was five years ago. I would have been 30 years old. Um, the progression started, I got discharged from the United States Marine Corps for cannabis use at the age of 19. Um, there was my first self-sabotaging fame cycle. Mm -hmm. From there, I tried meth at the same age, but I never considered myself a user until the day I actually went and purchased my own supply. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I would try to deceive myself and say I was never an addict of anything because I would just rotate through my substances. I'd be on cannabis for a while, go to alcohol for a while, a couple of pills. And meth was something that I only did when I flew out to California, which that's uh, it's about 2000 miles away from here, you know, so that was I'd be out there visiting family for about a week and I would say when in Rome and then one day Rome followed me home. <laughs> uh, Rome, so, Rome wasn't built in a day, was it? So, so the full blown meth use, um, a couple of things played into that. First was probation and being on probation and corrections. Hell of a lot easier to flush that out than cannabis. You know, I'm going to need 30 days to get that out of my system because it's fat soluble rather than water soluble. Where, and then also with my partner, you can smell marijuana. She can smell alcohol on me. Didn't know shit about meth. So it was a lot easier to deceive. And being on probation, and which this is a whole subject on what's messed up with war on drugs and a lot of other stuff. But uh, yeah, just the idea of using because I could get it out of my system quicker. And so full-blown use would have started about... Uh, Around not too around that time, actually, you know, I, I had used a little bit here and there, but around that time, coupled with finally opening my own business and the ability to make money easily without having to listen or check in or to anybody, 
probably prolonged my meth use. So th there was no accountability and there was no, um, yeah, it was just, it, was, it sounds like it was quite easy for you and to, that sub, subterfuge to, to sort of mask it and just go along doing what you wanted to do with it all, really. My, uh, the only accountability in my life was, was wanting to be a better father. Yeah, right. And what were you on probation for? Uh, my third or fourth driving under the influence of alcohol. Okay. So you weren't a badass like Ryan and sitting in jail, <laughs> running away. Well, uh, you know, it was a little more than three days or whatnot. My longest stint was only 90 days, but I cannot count how many times in my life I have fallen into a bucket of shit and come out smelling like bro. Uh, to have five DUIs and to have served my last two on 90 day house arrest stints is kind of unheard of. Mm. Just on the dick there. Most people go sit down for a year on that. It's interesting as well. The, um, that little phase you're in, it's kind of the, <clears throat> the, the lies we tell ourselves. you know, and I've been there definitely. And so many people I've worked with, it's like, uh, I'm not going to say that I'm addicted to something because I'm switching things. So it's like, no, I'm not addicted to anything, even though I'm using some sort of coping mechanism all the time. Yet there's these decisions that were being made were ones of, well, I'm going to take the drug that's going to be out of my system the soonest. So I'm going to be able to get past testing, which is this classic kind of deceitful is the word that you use. That's kind of that kind of deceitful behavior. So it's just that that's an interesting moment, I think. And so I'm just, I'm just, and you're painting a picture. And so I'm getting Hass's Center for Healing sort of in its infancy ish. And, yeah, that's, and we, sort of we, we probably started. Uh, at the start of 2016, so he's talking the end of 2016. So yeah, first year. So so yeah. yeah. So I was very. Uh, that, it's funny we've spoken about this before, Matthew. I was just very. Um, not that I'm not passionate now. I'm clearly very passionate. But I was that. Remember when you knew Nick? Were you the same? Like when yeah. you first started, you were like you were fired up. Dude. I was so fired up, and I was I was rough <laughs> and I was raw, but I was just thought I could change the world. You know, and it's like and that that was great because it kind of reached certain people like Matthew and resonated on the other right. side of the world. And that's why when he messaged me, I just messaged back. I'm, I can't remember what I said, but probably like, yeah, mate, what are you going through? Let's talk about it. You know? Absolutely. Uh, so yeah. so the, the, the systems you got in place and the, the, the courses and the programs and everything you got in, in place now weren't back then. So, you know, it was, it was sort of like the, the new frontier. And so Matt's reached out and got in <laughs> touch and said, you know, uh, I need some help. How, how did you, what, did, what right. angle did you come at it from? Now, Matt, Matt, you jump in here because you, you probably remember it better than me, but it was, it didn't, it was a process, right? So we, we, right. we, he might have reached out. I can't remember whether it was on socials or emails. So we just were having a bit of back and forward and he was kind of letting me know what was happening with him. And I was offering some advice here and there. But like you said, Nick, that we weren't really doing anything online back then. We were doing just our in person stuff. And it took, you can let us know, Matt. I can't remember how long. I don't know if it was a, a year or how long it was before we actually sat down for a, a session on Skype. Um, close to two and a half to three years. Was it? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it actually started out with, so... Left him hanging, Hass. Wait, wait, no, no. But he, he left me hanging because you tell the story about yeah. how you sabotaged that first session. What? So what happened? Sorry, let me jump in. So what happened, right. Nick, after this back and forward, right, where I'm chatting, giving advice mm -hmm. here and there, 
And then I think maybe, yeah, Melissa had done a Skype session with someone in Malaysia. So I'm like, oh, we can do it online. But I was very resistant. So I said to Matthew, I'm like, all right, fuck it. Let's do a session. When are you available? Right. We're going to jump on Skype. And so we organized a day or time. And then Matthew, you take over from here. Um, it was literally when it was time. And I, I think I like re-upped on one of my biggest purchases. And I like record What's that name? I went and bought probably like a grams worth or uh, eight balls worth of meth. Right. Uh, instead of so instead of the session, he receives a video of me like apologizing and smashing my meth pipe. Um, he but, sabotaged you know, the session, Nick, is what he's saying. Mm, it was like a, it was like I want to be in a relationship. I, I want to, but um, it was just like um, I don't feel I'm I'm ready to be in a relationship yet, and I'm not ready to commit to the relationship yet. So and, and, and he gonna, wasn't at that moment, mm, you know. Well, and I think that's know, an important thing for listeners to get their head around as well. You know, the work a client and a, a practitioner doing it is a relationship, and and so you know we've got the discovery session. For me, I, I call that a first date with people. You know, before we jump into bed, let's have a first date it's, seriously, and let's get to know one another. Let's what get. What are you to, doing to down there, there, Nico? Oh, so Wining and dining, cucumbers and movies, cucumbers and <laughs> so it's. Uh, it sounds like you, you two weren't ready. The timing wasn't right, or, or Matthew was still hadn't come to terms with the fact that he being in a relationship would be the best thing for him. Look, t- tell me if I'm wrong I, here, Matt. I'd like I'd like to backtrack. My my addiction wasn't necessarily to the meth. That was just whatever the symptom was. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. addiction was a pattern of self-sabotage. If we rewind and you say, and I say 19 cannabis discharged from the United States Marine Corps after being raised by an uncle in Hawaii at a Marine base, that is all I ever wanted to be. So my story is a pattern of massive self-sabotage. It's like, you're not going to outdo me. I'm going to fucking do one up on you. You mean using meth was more a symptom or a, a form of medication <laughs> to alleviate some sort of internal suffering that was going on? How interesting. Are we recording this? This is, this is groundbreaking, Nick. This is gold. This is gold. Yeah, Keep going. It, got, it, it got to help reinforce the story that I'm alone, and that was my true addiction. Um, oh. but, that was actually, but that was actually such an important moment, Matthew, because we, we kind of I, – I said to you, look, we're going to do this buddy session on Skype, and that kind of – pushed you into a really uncomfortable space where, you know, you sabotage it, but you also kind of had this, this breakdown, which I believe was a very important moment for you actually breaking through. Right. You know, uh, I've heard bits and parts of your guys' story, you know, and I feel like I was a really self-aware man, even in college at 18, I had known the source of abandonment and this and that. So to go on another 11 plus years, 12, 13 years of knowing everything up here, I went to college for psychology. Uh, even oh, the, shortly after that, I became a smart recovery facilitator. So I've always been enamored by human behavior. And um, it, when Ryan said, I, I remember sending him a long audio explaining my abandonment story. And he did catch me completely off guard when he's like, let's fucking take care of this shit. 
now. Let, let, let's take care of it. Like, mm. wait, what? And that's that's like confronting what? it is, is is such a hard step, isn't it? It is, and also I had no idea what we were getting into. I'm like, what are you mm. going to do? That's different. I had no idea how a session was going to go with him. There was no information out like his site has now. You know, they were there wasn't root cause therapy wasn't uh, formulated to where they were training people yet. If, if you guys will allow me to rewind to that moment with the self-set intervention and accountability, it truly was my children. I remember standing there with a friend in my apartment and I'm looking at a photo almost like this of me mm -hmm. and my kids, but I'm now with my partner and we had been together off and on since I was 14 and <sighs> We had never had a family photo, and like in a month, we were supposed to be doing our first ever family photo. She had, uh, we had one child together, my third, and she was about six months pregnant with my fourth child. Um, and I did not want to go down the street at all and tell her I was struggling. And it was just staring at that photo on the wall and imagining it that got me to go down there. And what got me to eventually go out to California to practical recovery with Tom Horvath was a restraining order had been put on me against my children. And Father's Day was coming up, 2017. So I wasn't going to be allowed to be around my four children. And the day that that restraining order came on, I remember standing in my apartment and it looked like a fucking dump trash everywhere. Just a mess, like a tweaker's mess uh, apartment that I once took so much pride in that, like you could eat out of the toilet. And I remember uh, in that moment realizing there is no drug on this earth that can take away this pain. And I didn't want to live anymore. Um, and I went out to California and one of the dangers, I understand that the 12 steps can be very beneficial for some people, but then there are some people like me who, when you start to become indoctrinated by some dogmatic practices, I was also a pastor's kid. So bam, big collision there. A lot of shit going on. Um, they tell you that you can't change for anybody else. But I didn't give a shit about myself enough to ever want to change for me. I could care less about me. I, whatever. If it was just me and I didn't have my kids, of course, I'll never know. But I would guess that I'd probably still be twacked out. Um, and I remember sitting there with that counselor and I was very afraid to even tell him because in that recovery house, we had big house meetings, 60, 80 guys with the leader there and somebody would relapse or be struggling and, and he, or he would be asking why you want to change. And they would say my children, my wife, and he would literally go off like, fuck, no, you don't. You've never wanted to change for them. You keep making mistakes. So I remember being very afraid to even ask the eldest therapist, you know, the only reason I want to change is for my kids. I remember like I was so broken at the time telling him this when he looked at me and said, sounds like good enough motivation for me. That was all the permission I needed.
course, I had some relapses, and then Ryan and I finally connected and did a healing session. But that, yeah, they, there's there's a lot there. Uh, anyway, I kind of. No, no, that's that's good. That's a that's an interesting. Um, what are your uh, thoughts sure on that, Nick? Like about the you know people saying you know you because for me it's like yeah you do have to want to change yourself, but then a lot of people if it's like I want to change for my kids. And that is the motivation to start working on yourself. But then you work out kind of early on that, oh, I need to become a better man internally to be better for my kids. So they're very intertwined, aren't they? I think the, the kids' as motivation is like the spark in the engine and that gets yeah. the engine going. But then you, you, it has to come back to, you know, I've been doing so much work with clients lately about, um, self-care and self-compassion and self-love and you can't give away that which you don't possess. You can't love others unconditionally until you love yourself unconditionally. You can't love in a healthy, non-ego, non-attached way until you can, you know, everything starts at home. It's not just charity. So, yeah, I think I think whatever whatever gets you up and going is, is a great source of motivation. But, yeah, we... When we become better within ourselves, we become better fathers, better parents, better husbands, better sons, better everything, you know. But it all, for me, it all always comes back to we are the source. So, um, you know, because we're, we're handing down these emotional family heirlooms to these kids and, and they're looking at us for guidance. They're looking at, oh, okay, well, how do I, what, what do I do when I don't get what I want or when things don't go my way? Right, I have a tantrum or I have a this or, or I put myself down. Fuck, I'm an idiot. Jeez, I'm such a loser. You know, if you're treating yourself that way but trying to raise healthy kids, uh, I was never good at math at school, but even to me, that math doesn't add up. So, I, you know, I would completely agree. I mean, I had my own philosophy that, you know, I hated myself so much that I believed wholeheartedly that it was better to be absently absent rather than presently absent. What's mm -hmm. that mean? I'd rather the, be gone and then I'd be a mystery to my kids yeah. than be present and out of my mind and not really there. Or, you know, today all you need is a cell phone presently absent. Yeah. Well, you yeah, probably it's... think you're doing less damage by not being around, but um, yeah, because we're, we're not we're not causing these emotional splinters. We're not we're not harming them on a daily basis. But the absence um, can be equally, if not more. It's so oh, it's yeah. really it's really important for people to understand though, because we've spoken about it, Nick, when we've spoken about suicide on the podcast before. And people I'm not like saying my philosophy was right. Is all I'm saying. I'm saying that was my philosophy in yeah. my mindset then I was on yeah. drugs obviously my mind wasn't all there <laughs> <laughs> but that's it it's, it's great to get a snapshot into that mindset because like I said it was suicide and people go oh, how can you do that how could you, you know, leave these people behind but even in that moment it's like someone's in so much pain and so much self-hatred but hatred that it makes it makes sense to them that everyone will be better off if I'm gone yeah, it's mm. just important to understand that mindset because um, until we understand what people are going through in these really tough situations, we're going to judge their decisions as opposed to having compassion for them. So that's I look at everything as, as, as a spectrum and have a think about taking your own life because you, you, you don't want to 
keep harming or being a burden to people, that's at one extreme of the spectrum. At the other end of the spectrum, it's like, I've had a bad day. I don't want to go home and talk to my partner about it. You know, there's there's, there's so much of this, I, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to put this on you. Um, so if we can, yeah, get better at practicing that, I think it's, it's yeah, it's just it's much healthier. Well, to use Nick's lingo, you know, it, it was a cognitive distortion, obviously, but that resonates with me completely that in those moments, it was a very real, I, there's no meme out there or cute little fucking thing on the internet that says, hey, if somebody's saying that they want to commit suicide, it's manipulation and they just want attention. That's all good and well, but the truth is people commit suicide. Okay, and so for me in those moments, being a chronic relapser, chronically, my life sabotaging over and over, it was 100% real in the moment. I may not have actually taken the action or even could have taken the action, but the feeling of not wanting to live or completely disappear out of my loved one's lives forever was very real because the effort that I would put in to get my life back on track wasn't a facade. It was all in. I was all in to get my life back on track. And then for it to just fucking go sideways, well, I don't have control over myself then. So it's not to what go. We, so we talk about different versions of us. And so that version of Matthew back then was adamant. He fully wholeheartedly believed that he wanted to get his life back on track, but you know, he's not waking up tomorrow. He's going to sleep and processing and a new version's waking up in the morning. So there's this other version that wakes up and goes, you know what? Today, I don't believe I'm worth having a life. So I'm going to sabotage it. So it, it's so, it can be so conflicting when we look at ourselves as a, as a, as one, as our identity or as a whole and go, I made that decision. Well, yeah, no, a, a version of you made that decision and he fully believed it. He fully bought into it at the time. But, you know, two days later, it was a completely different version going, no, that guy was mad. This is fucked. I'm out. And hence the ambivalence in so many of us. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very, yeah, I mean, very true. Very true. Now, Matt, what, what don't you t tell us about what you can remember about that first session we did a while ago now? Um, well, for any of the listeners that may know a little bit of Ryan's story, vulnerability wasn't really, uh, one of my issues, neither was emotions or tears. However, I could only be vulnerable about stuff that was past tense, never be vulnerable about shit. I was presently going through ever. Mm. And in that session, we worked, uh, I guess I would boil it down to I don't know how to boil it down without using too many listeners, but I can say for the first time in my life, I realized how universal that feeling was that I am alone. And if it is so universal, then I can be okay with it. And I've got kids to let them deal with it and help them deal with 
It's interesting how lonely people can feel when they have other people in their lives, isn't it? When they 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 have relationships, but they can so but but they're not engaged fully in those relationships, or they don't believe that they belong in those relationships. So you know, it, it's it's being around people doesn't mean that you aren't lonely. It's just that the loneliness is such an internal experience. Yeah, there's an actual study done on that. It's um, it might be in um, Lost Connections, Johan Hari's book, but there's like the top loneliness expert who's done a lot of research and dedicated his life to it, and he found that yeah, exactly like you say, Nick, the the feeling of loneliness actually has nothing to do. There's no correlation with the amount of people that you're around. This is it's it's, totally. it's you can be in a, a sea of people and feel incredibly lonely. And we, um, you know, the, we've got the five fundamentals and the second one is basic human needs by Dr. William Glasser. And, and he talks about one of those um, needs is a sense of belonging. And so when I'm working with clients, I'm like, if, I think once again, it starts at home. If you can connect with yourself, if you have a sense of belonging with you and you can identify and, and be at peace with your own existence, then it's so much easier to, to, you know, be in healthy relationships with others. You, you know, you can you can you can be by yourself for days and not feel lonely if you're connected internally, um, or if you're not connected internally, you can be surrounded by people for days and feel really lonely. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I think when you said that belonging, and I, I'm sort of triggering my memory now as well, Matthew, in that session, and whatever we worked on, and it was this feeling of being alone, but you were able to see that the people in your life, you know, in your past and now also had struggled with those feelings and then realized everyone had struggled with those feelings at some point. So we talk about it's kind of like this belonging now because when I feel I'm alone, I'm isolated. It's me. And when we think everyone else is, oh, they're, they're all having a great time. <laughs> Life's real easy for everyone else, but I'm fucked. And then also we say, oh, everybody struggles with I am alone. So then it's, a, I feel really connected and feel like I belong to that kind of universal network of people who are struggling with real human issues. Well, I, I do remember it clearly. I just didn't want to go into it uh, with, with everyone, but when like my story at the age of 18, I had already moved 21 times, lived in four States, lived with eight different family members or sets of family members. So the, I am alone was really reinforced. I remember being in a relationship and asking my partner if they had felt that. And I, I was confounded that they said, no, I don't feel a sense of alone in my life. I'm like, what? People don't, what, you know, um, but today I told Ryan earlier, there was a reason I sent you guys that quote was it really popped up. My cheek hit my audible, uh, app uh, while I was on the phone and Peter Levine's waking the tiger came up and the chapter was on community trauma and healing. And that was the very beginning of the chapter. And, you know, I guess at the end of the day, I feel like it's the Western society that pushes so much of the, well, you've got to be good to be alone first. And that codependency is this horrible fucking thing. But to be honest, we've lost community in our Western society. 
if it wasn't for the online community that I have with Ryan and you guys in Australia, I would still feel probably a magnified sense of aloneness in this town of 6,000 people. This is where it comes back to that tribal thing and that uh, we, we, we don't feel like we belong. You know, I moved a lot as a kid as well. And, and, and I know that that caused issues for me. I didn't, I wasn't raised in a village, you know, it takes a village to raise a child sort of thing. And, and so that constant shifting and moving, the, you don't, you don't, I, I don't believe I probably developed um, as someone who has that more consistency developed. So, you know, I used to steal shit um, and give it away to people just to, to make friends, you know, and that, that was my way of, of trying to, to uh, hey, look, I am a value. I am, I am a value. I, yeah. I, I, have, I have something to offer. I, I, am a, I am a good person. You can like me. That was, that was you know, I remember being in jail, Nick, and you're not supposed to be nice or given in jail. And that need still existed for me in jail to where you could order a commissary, get snacks, and everyone's yeah. hoarding their shit. And I'm handing out candy like, hey, guys, like me. <laughs> you're, like, you're, like, you're like Oprah in jail. You can have some candy. You yeah, have you some have candy. some. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing. And so when you, when you feel that sense of belonging, like I've got a, I've got a client at the moment, he's 21 and, and really struggled with um, ice and meth and whatnot. And all of a sudden, you know, he kept bouncing and really rough childhood um and he's he's sort of in and out of jobs and he's finally landed a job with a group of dudes who he said they're normal and he goes they just they treat me normally and that's just it's so nice just to feel normal to, to fit in just to to you know be accepted you know they've accepted him into their tribe and without judgment without any conditions or anything it's just cool you're one of us now and that sense of belonging to feel included is really important but i think it's that you know codependency for me is is problematic um uh, when it when it goes for too long uh, we're after sort of interdependency where we can lean on each other when necessary but but we're, we're growing individually within ourselves but yeah you're right leaning leaning out reaching out getting some help and support is really important but if you need that in order to be okay then it becomes problematic because you live in this constant state of anxiety oh but what if you know subconsciously like but what if this person leaves me you can't leave me so it's a very attached right. sort of needy relationship so yeah the yeah. way you and that's oh to to actually be able to depend on each other i've heard it like an H instead of an A, you know, uh, as long as the relationship's interdependent and you're taking terms, there's going to be times, obviously, in a healthy relationship where you're weaker and they're stronger, and also in many different categories and facets of life where you're going to bounce yeah, back. Well, but- it's, it's, give, it's give and take. It's, you know, the, the, the husband can work the, the woman's going to stay home so she's going to rely on him for for financial support but he's going to rely on her so it is yeah we talk about the h model as well h for healthy interdependent relationship um because um, that codependency there's no room for growth where that healthy one you can you can both off you go off you go <laughs> matt I'd, I'd love you to talk about off you go um, geezer, off you go, geezer. 
I'd like you to talk about maybe, you know, you mentioned that you live in a, you know, a small town there and um, maybe some of the reactions of your transformation and the changes that you've made in your life from some people in the community and even some law enforcement that I know you, you, you've kind of mentioned a few stories to me before. One, to, to highlight how much you've changed, but also maybe to highlight as well kind of still how society sees a lot of these issues. Yeah, you know, this plays really well into, I, it may have been your last episode on changes in polarity um, about how you guys were saying maybe three months, at least for a close family. Well, live in a town like this, you need five years. You need five years, legit. Um, let's see. I had the police come over for... It was a miscommunication, but one thing that I've been working on is some stored anger. And Ryan had had me going out to the country where it was isolated, not my backyard. One time it was my backyard and the, the cops showed up. But it at least presented an opportunity for the police. They're asking, they're making sure everything's good. And as they're leaving, one of them just... You know, everyone kind of knows your story. Can I just ask how you got off of meth? And I kind of just kind of went into, you know, first off, if I believed it was a disease, I'd probably still have a meth in, uh, a pipe in my hand. Um, I had to believe in complete healing and completely moving forward. Not that I was broken and had a disease. Um, but yeah, you know, with school just starting up today was the first day of school. I still run into people that, oh, you look really good. You look healthy. I uh, still got people kind of holding their breath. Um, since January, I've lost 40 pounds. Uh, I started going I'm to looking the terrific. Looking oh, no, terrific, by the way. fantastic. God, if you're listening, get on YouTube and do yourself a favor. Mm, yeah, well. Drink it in. If, if you're a former... <laughs> If you're a former meth addict, I suppose it'd be like if you were an alcoholic for a long time and you got your life completely changed and you were walking and stumbled up the stairs. Everyone's going to have some ah. what is he really, so really good example. Really good example. Yeah. You lose 40 pounds in a town like this. But like I said, it's 108 slash 42, whatever the rest of the world says. And I work outside for a living. Yeah, I've cut weight and I started going to the gym. It started with just sometimes I would show up and leave, not even work out. But I, I had to get in the routine of getting up in the morning. Show, sometimes it would be like a little 15-minute jog. That's it. Sometimes it would be pulling into the parking lot and like, oh, shit, there's people here. Never mind. You know, I'm you pull away because I like to work out alone. Um, you know, but yeah, it, that that's a little bit of a rough situation. Um, and it does have a lot to do with knowing who you are on the inside and kind of not giving a shit what other people I, are thinking. I guess you can. I guess you condition those around us as well, uh, and they have associations. With, they see you stumbling upstairs when you're on meth. So even if it's been a year or whatnot, it's going to trigger 
and memory in them and they're going to create that link, that association back to it and go, oh, it's on meth again. They're going to jump to that conclusion instead of going up to you going, hey, and are you okay? They're, they're, going to, they're just going to naturally going to you know, go into that distorted state and start looking at you through that distorted lens and go, oh, no, he's back on it. Worst case scenario, here we go. Well, that's it. That's say- that's the way society views it, though, isn't it? Like, it's, yes, that association, but it's also this idea that we have that, oh, they're a meth addict. Oh, that's it. They're, they're, that's it. They're, they have that for life, you know. Yeah, the stereotype. And, especially because law enforcement and magistrates, you know, I've been through that system doing two days of hard time. I love how over all the episodes, my two days has turned into three now. Three. So we're going to see if we can push it out to a week in the next, by the end of it's the like, year. It's like, it's like cut, catch, catching a fish. It was that big. Yeah. We'll be doing the podcast in like 2050 and it'll be like, yeah, I did like six months in solitary confinement. <laughs> had to, you know, <laughs> escape using some device. Anyway, so especially- I, I, want lo- stress, I want to stress the importance of community, the importance of community and like having you guys even, and just if I only had this 6,000 population town, I like my heart breaks for some of the people in these small towns that don't have, resources out there or don't know about the resources or just ignorant to them i i i'm pretty sure that if i was only that's also why i went out to california i didn't have any family supporting me here uh so when i flew out and was with my aunt i only went to that one therapist meeting and i was able to stay clean it it might not last like sound like a long time to normal people but for 90 days that's pretty good for a meth addict and all that I needed was the maternal love and nurturing from my aunt that had raised me for two years when I was a little boy. And I'm trying to come with her with my shame. It's no, no, there's no time for that. You're just here to, you know, just showering me with love. And I think about a lot of these people in this town, you know, I, I, I had a court hearing that I had to be on, but it was on Zoom. So I got to be blacked out and, and muted while I listened to this woman who failed a meth test and got her kid taken from her. And I can only imagine all the shame someone like that's going through. And then if you're in a small town, an unsupported community, like I said in my story, I was a pretty successful meth addict until I told people about my struggles. And then I Mm. became what they, in their minds, almost I should be, uh, you know, I, I just, community has been huge to me. Having the right I, I community think, has really I think a lot of the time people, people use the coping mechanisms as their community. You know, we're, we're talking about not having that sense of belonging. I, I, I talk about when I was uh, doing a lot of hypnotherapy early on in my career and helping people to stop smoking and, and we'd look at cigarettes and, and, and as, as a, a person and, okay, you're in a relationship with this person. So you need to, to explore the dynamic of that relationship instead of just quitting or going cold turkey or, you know, just breaking up with that person. It's like a really sort of sitting with it and going, what am I getting out of this relationship? And, and so often people would be like, smoking is my best friend. Smoking has been here in my life for, smoking is my longest friend. It's been there for 15 years. It's always there when I need it. I, I can go to it and I can turn to it anytime I need to. Yeah, okay, it's slowly killing me and poisoning me and really toxic and unhealthy, but I'm very codependent on that because it's it's the one stable, it's the one constant thing in my life. So 
whether it's cigarettes or gambling or alcohol or crack or meth or cucumbers, whatever the case may be, you're gonna you're gonna turn to that which is which is consistent, I think. Yeah, consistent and- is the word. I wrote a blog earlier. I wrote it while I was still using, I think, and then released it later. But I wrote it was called My Mates Ice and GHB. And I wrote how I literally saw them as friends. And one of the key lines in that was, they'll never judge me, right? Mm-hmm. Because you would imagine, like, Matthew, that lady you're talking about in court who just had the kids taken off her, the incredible amount of guilt and shame um, you have from that, right? And then all of a sudden, the judicial system tells you you're a terrible parent. And then the people in your community, this is why I love it, community is so important in a positive or negative way. All the people in the community just go, they don't want to look too deep. So look at the surface and go, what a piece of shit mother she is. Having her, she's choosing the drug over her son or daughter. The, the heaviness of that pushes that person to use more and it becomes a self-perpetuating cycle that so many people find themselves in. It's hard to stop and ask a question. You know, but that's why people take the easy path. It's so much easier mm. just to sit there and judge. It's yep. so much easier just to look at someone and, and for the ego to get involved and to form an opinion than it is to sort of stop. And like I had it last night, there was a, a dude um, on his motorbike on the side of the road. And, you know, people were just going past, past, past. And I was like, there's this dude coming. I have to go, right. Can I stop you? Yeah, it was this actual uh, a process, and I, I pulled up, and I was like, "You're right, mate." He's like, "Yeah," and I ran out of petrol, got no money, and I'm like, "Okay, I'll give you a hand." So it was harder for me to stop, but it, it helped somebody. Um, and, and the dude behind me started beeping because I was holding up traffic. You know, was, <laughs> I'm trying to help someone. He's like, "Fucking hurry up!" Something nice. I got somewhere to be. Can't get out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> this is this disconnected digital world we're in. It's like this. This basic kindness of human to human interaction is kind of a, a weird thing now that other people get pissed off at. But you talk no. to naturists and everything like that, and it's all about this interdependency. And, and you're not alone. We are all so connected. We're never alone. We're, even if it's just on a molecular level, even if it's just we're part of the universe, we are intrinsically, energetically, we're all connected. So this is uh, if we, we stop looking at ourselves as individuals and can get back to that community sort of spirits and that's oh someone's struggling can i help you you know and i said to this dude he's like oh thanks so much i was like no worries dude just pay it forward next time you get a chance you know and and that happened to me i I was traveling through southeast asia on my way home from europe um and the, the taxi that took me there sped off with my bag in it and all my money and everything. I lucky I had my plane ticket on me. And um and I was just sitting in the lounge and I went out to the, the smoking area and and this was in like 2003 I think. Uh, and this Aussie guy goes, right mate? And I was like, oh no, I just had on the shit stolen. I was gonna you know, bum a smoke and he just hands me a hundred buck note and he goes, go and buy yourself um, a beer and a pack of smokes and I said, dude, that's too much. It's that's you know, he goes, no, no, I've, I've, this is my opportunity. This happened to me 15 years ago in the outback and it's my chance to pay it forward. I'm like, fuck, man, that's that's awesome. Thank you. And that, you know, that memory is still so vivid, that that act of kindness, that act of compassion, that act of community spirit stayed with me. And, you know, what was that, 2002? This is 20 years later. I've just, you know, I've passed on a lot of times since then, but I, I still got to pass it on last night and then educate someone else to pass it on. So I love that. That's so beautiful. I, I had one, you're making me remember now, 
um, not long after I got clean. And what happens with a lot of people in addiction, they, they start to get clean and all of a sudden they have to deal with the realities of the shitstorm they created during their addiction. So <laughs> I had clean up the mess. So I had all these, you know, debts, like I'd maxed out credit cards, I'd, I hadn't paid fucking speeding tickets and all that for, for ages. So it's like you're trying to then get your work, life together. It can be overwhelming. And I remember calling up, I had these with the bank, all these debts and I'm like, I can't fucking pay these back. Um, so they went through to like a financial hardship um, company and this guy in Adelaide in a different state where I am, I remember speaking to him on the phone and I'm like, I'm never going to be able to get this sorted out. And anyway, he um, he got on the phone and he's just from this financial hardship joint. He goes, oh, tell me your story, mate. Tell me what's going on. And I'm like, look, I was addicted to ice. Um, I had all this stuff I was dealing, blah, blah. And I've come out of it now. And, you know, I'm trying to deal with life and I'm studying to, to help people and that kind of thing. And he's like, mate, you're a bloody inspiration. Let me see what I can do. And he went and on his computer and he goes, look, mate, I've worked it out. You don't have to make any payments for the next six months. And then when you do, we're going to get you on this long term. He, he just went above and beyond to help me. And he like, he goes, mate, that's, I can't believe what you've done. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. And I got off the phone. I was like crying. I was just so happy. Mm. And I'm like, mm. from and it's left such an imprint on me like that guy did with you, Nick, that I was like, mm. I want to bring that energy to people, you know, that, that I deal with mm. in the future. It's beautiful. It's human. The, sm- the smile on this kid's face last night on the motorbike is like, you know, I, I, I've got no money. I can't believe it. I said, it's okay. You don't need- it's just I'm giving this to you. It, it, it just looked completely foreign. It was like I was speaking Swahili yeah. to like, him. It's like, what do you, what do you like- want in return? What do I have to do? Nothing, mate. Yeah, Nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's just—it's it, called compassion and kindness. You know, just just accept it. That's all you need yeah. to. Do. I know it's accept weird, it. but just accept it. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, I want—I want to go, mate. Do something to say? But yeah, I'm looking at the calendar, and it's—it's it's the twelfth for me here, and that is—I've lost track, but now that I see it, that's ninety days off of all social media for me. Not, not an ounce of social media. All my accounts are deactivated. And I wanted to talk about, as, as Ryan's saying, the spectrums, or uh, Nick, the spectrums, or uh, double-edged swords, or two sides of the mm. coin of everything. And what I've learned so far in 90 days of no social media is, well, one, I feel like all my thoughts are genuinely my own. That's that's been refreshing. Yeah, that's two, nice, isn't it? <laughs> two is um, I was even thinking about it today. How quickly in, in these online communities, Facebook or whatnot, that we can feel like we know someone almost too much to where we don't want to be around them. I was thinking about some of the people in this small town over the last two years that I had even unfriended and didn't want to deal with. And now that I'm not on social media for 90 days and have no idea about anybody's life and they don't know about my life over the last 90 days, I thought, wow, isn't that weird? Because if I was to run into that person now and and life was like this and nobody had Facebook like I've experienced for the last 90 days, it wouldn't have these preset judgments that, oh, well, you have your opinion on this about coronavirus or this about the vaccine, so go fuck yourself. Instead, it's just... Hey, how you doing, dude? What's been happening? Been? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been so you, you, long you, since I've seen you. It's, so, a, it's a beautiful example, Matty, of, of, okay, we get too much information, we become closed-minded because it bumps up against our biases or our opinions or our judgments or our beliefs, and we go, no, that's different to mine. I'm going to close my mind off to that. 
But when we don't have all that information, that stimulus hitting us, we actually become open-minded and curious. And we're like, oh, oh, I haven't seen you for a while. How's life? Well, I wonder what, what are you up to these days? What's going on? And, and we, actually, we actually go seeking to engage instead of retreating to disconnect. And it's, yeah, it's so much healthier. So that's I was awesome. just thinking about how the social media platform and community-wise have both given me community and now I can see how it has hurt community. Both. Mm. both. Um, and I, I have I started out doing this just wanting to break from my own bullshit because sometimes I can get reactive <laughs> and post something. Maybe it's the Gemini in me. I don't know. But I'm like, okay, all right. I need a break from this. And I was sick of everyone's negativity. Um, but now I, I've only just started, but uh, I'm staying off of it until I'm completely done with my book. And when I'm done with my book is when I'll be back online. Um, I just feel like that's going to, I just don't want any other outside influence where I was saying my thoughts feel like my own now, mm. you know, so yeah, it's 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 so that's true, good. isn't it's, it's it? A, it's a nice cleanse. It sounds like a nice cleanse and a nice reset. It is. You know, cleanse is the right word. But the best way yeah. to test your relationships is to go without it for a while, and, and sort of if if it's not if there's no nutritional value in it, and we go without it for a while, if it doesn't feed our soul, and, and we sort of look at it, and go, I just don't need that anymore, and that's 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 nice, and it's so nice, yeah. We, Mm. It is. Look, we're coming up on an hour, Matt. I think it's the best place to finish up here is, you know, there's been a couple of themes that have been coming up in the chat today. There'll be people listening who are struggling in certain aspects of their life and maybe struggling to find any community and connection as well and feeling quite isolated, whether they're in a, a small town like you or they're in a big city but still feeling that isolation, knowing that, you know, obviously one size doesn't fit all and everyone's got their own journey. What advice would you have for someone who's struggling with some of those things? Um, I think my overall advice would be don't, don't let anyone else write your story. As in, if you feel like you're in the wrong community, if you feel like you're getting information, whether it's from an online community or an in-person community, don't ever stop seeking out the right community for you. And you'll know it is, it is going to hit your mind, your body. Literally, your community will resonate with you. I guess that's what I got. Yeah. Can I add to that? That's awesome. Because And don't be afraid to leave a community. Like there's so yeah, many people stay, stay, stay in unhealthy communities out of this sense of I need to belong to a community and, and out of this fear of if I don't, if I leave this, they're going to judge me or they're going to say X, Y, Z about me. But, you know, and your community can, might just be your family. It might be your friends. It might be a job. You know, don't be afraid to stop seeking until you find the right one. Uh, you know, I, I can't, I've, Plenty of times I've stayed at a job that the job sucked, but the community was great, so I stayed. Yeah, mm. yeah, so true. Well, it sounds like it sounds like we can't have our cake and eat it too. So, um, got got there in the end. The little idiom. How 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 else are you meant to eat a cake if you don't have it? I don't understand that. I feel like I can't believe that. I can't believe that's the one you picked. That one drives me fucking nuts. I've never <laughs> understood it. <laughs> 
what does it even mean? Why, why do we say this one? Have your cake and eat it too. Like, it's like the, the, the first person that said it was, was, was living in Scotland in 1384. And, uh, listen, like, he's got to uh, throw Scotland out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was some <laughs> ancestor McNutt. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, there was the McNutts and the Sutherlands were having dinner one night. And, Fucking and someone, someone pulled out a cake and, uh, and Mrs. McNutt went, oh, I'm on a diet. I can't have my cake and eat it too. That's just, and then the Sutherlands looked at her like, the fuck does that mean? So she, so she made the cake, maybe. So she made yeah. the cake, but then she didn't want to have a slice of her own cake because she was on a diet. Mm. And maybe that's mm. why it annoys you so much, Matthew. Maybe it's a genealogical trauma from an ancestor. Epigenetics, epigenetics, mate. You got to um, get in there and change your DNA. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it's a subject for another day, but I've always found it interesting that. Uh, for a lot, so many people, whatever their biggest traumas were, that uh, a lot of times they could spend their life trying to build the opposite. So what do I mean is, you know, I've got eight kids and my ninth on the way, a son. Uh, so I'll have personally, I'll have three boys and three girls and three. You really kids. didn't want to be alone, did you? <laughs> so literally. Literally, my life's uh, mission, right or wrong, but what drives me now is, uh, is, is creating a community and a family, a place for these kids that they can always come to. Because even as an adult, it's, it's easy to not feel like I have family. So I, I guess I want to give them, which so many of us do in our lives, especially when we become parents, is, is we just don't want to do to our kids what happened to us. And yeah, uh, a, lot of, a lot of the time it comes from an aversion and a desire. I, I, I didn't have that, so I'm going to create an abundance of that. And so, if I didn't have family, I'm going to create fucking nine kids. Wow, <laughs> hat off to you. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, Matthew, I really appreciate you. I appreciate our friendship over the years. Um, consider you a brother from another mother. Once our once our criminal records get wiped, we'll be able to actually visit. Oh, actually, that's probably not the biggest issue. It's probably COVID's causing the travel issue at the minute. But um, we will eventually meet in person, I'm sure. If this podcast was a cake, then I've gobbled, gobbled up the whole thing. And I uh, <laughs> really appreciate you coming on. <laughs> well, hey, thank you. And uh, thanks for all the work that you guys do. I know that it has helped impact my life. And uh, so thank you. Uh, much love Thank to you, brother. That. We appreciate you. And um, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as we have. And we'll speak to you all soon and we'll see you next week. Nico, pleasure as always. Well, shout out to the shout out to the Woke Bloke community and the Woke Bloke family. And and, and thanks, everyone, for, for listening and being a part of that family. And we should create a way where everyone can start connecting or reach out. Maybe a Facebook group that Matt can run because he's so heavily invested in social media or something. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll be Matt, up in Matt, about a year. No, we can't, we can't create a social media woke blokes group because then Matt will feel excluded because he's not yeah. in it and then he'll feel alone again and it'll trigger him and he'll be fucking back <laughs> on meth in six months. What so, are we going to do then? What are we going to do? We have to create something know. else. We're going to have to do pen pals. Pen pals. Go old school again. Go old school. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait Um, to get your letter in a month or two then. Yeah. (laughs) 
but but like Nick said, you know, this is a community and reach out if you're listening to this and you maybe haven't thought, hey, I can actually message these guys. Um, shoot us a DM on Instagram well, or something. You said, you, know? you said we got a message last night, didn't you? So we've, we've been getting a few messages of, of, of people saying thanks and this is how it's helped and I've, yeah. I've shared it with my husband or someone else. So yeah. thanks everyone for, for sharing the love. Yeah, we love you all and we love you, Matthew. Love you a long time. Thank you for tuning into the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time.